Thank you for listening to the Keystone Church Podcast. For more information about us, you can visit us at mykeystonechurch.com. Well, I wanted to just talk a little bit this morning about kingdom economy. So let me start with prayer. Jesus, we just thank you for your word, for your life. We thank you, Father, that, that you've given us so much. Father, and for the things that you've given us that we haven't even recognized or acknowledged or, or walked in, God, we just ask for a greater revelation of actually what it is that you've given us. Jesus, we just pray for increased intimacy. Father, I pray for continued breakthrough in life and, and uh, just a pouring out for every person here, God. And God, we just thank you for a chance to learn more about you and connect with you, God. Amen. All right, so economy. Anybody, has anybody ever studied economics, macro, micro, any of that? It's interesting. I, I love macroeconomics, but when you get into the micro and all that stuff, like it, my head just starts to explode. But if we break down what an economy is, basic definition is an economy is the wealth and resources of a country or region, especially in terms of the, pr- the production and consumption of goods and services, or another definition is the careful management of available resources. So an economy is the careful management of available resources, resources being produced and being consumed, resources being purchased and sold and all of that, and just how that all combines together. A lot of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament revolves around stewardship. Um, And I'm not going to dig too deep into that today, but in order to know how stewardship works, we have to know what we've been given to steward. And so the economy of the church, unfortunately, has often been the economy of the mouth. And it's been words. It's been we produce words and we consume words and we get mad about words. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of talk. And what Jesus calls us to is to an, is an economy that is not just words, but it's power. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, which is ironic because all of his books, if you read them, they feel very logical and persuasive. But he's saying, that's not, when I came to you in person, that's not what I was bringing, not persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I won you over to Christ with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. And so it's interesting that with that in mind, we so often rely on what we can bring as far as words. And I also think that as a piece of that, a lot of us don't actually feel very comfortable with our words. A lot of us don't feel like I, I don't, you know, we don't feel like we speak very well or like we have a lot of wisdom to bring in the moment. And that's interesting because that all relies on us. And yet, if we look at demonstration of the spirit and of power, that doesn't rely on us. And Paul said that's what he brought, and that's something that I think all of us can bring when we operate in the kingdom economy. So there's three pieces of the kingdom economy I want to talk about. Resources, authority, and for lack of a better phrase, how we are carriers of restoration. Um, For kingdom resources, we have to ask the question, whose resources am I living under? Because if I look at my own resources, they're severely lacking. If I look at my own resources and capabilities, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about if I look at my own emotional capacity, if I look at my own relational capabilities, if I look at my own you know, understanding, the books that I've read, the, 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 what I have to bring, 
there's a finite limit to that. And even the most intelligent of human beings is going to come, and their limit might be higher than mine, but there's still a limit. But Romans 8.17 says we are co-heirs with Christ. So co-heirs, that means that when we stand before God and we're receiving our inheritance, we look over and there's Jesus, and we're receiving right alongside him what he is receiving. Co-heirs, that's a massive phrase in the New Testament. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he also says to us, I've given you authority to go cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, um, and care for the poor. What is it? Preach the gospel. <laughs> I'm murdering that verse. Um, I had a, a vision. I don't get a lot of visions, but when I do, it's kind of cool. I, I have more dreams than I would say I have visions, but every once in a while, and when I talk about vision, I want to explain this real quick. There's several different kinds of seeing a vision. So some people have what's called like an open vision. Your eyes are open, but what you're actually like physically seeing something else. Um, some people, like what I had, was more of uh, kind of in the imagination of my mind. I was seeing these pictures, um, which is good because I was driving at the time. Um, but I just come from a meeting with somebody, and uh, it was a really good meeting, and he just blessed me. He spoke a prophetic wor word over me, and just I walked out of it feeling really um, cared for and like God saw me and this guy was just amazing and I walked out of there feeling like what did I bring to that conversation did I actually contribute anything did I have anything of value to bring and I just started looking at like man I just you know it's great to feel ministered to and to feel cared for but it also to feel like man did I bring anything of value and so I started kind of going, oh, poor me-ish, which just happens every once in a while, and start looking at myself and like, man, I just, I didn't have anything, I didn't bring it, I didn't do well, or whatever. And all of a sudden, I got this picture in front of me, in, in my mind, and it was this picture of a plate. And the plate said, my needs on it. And it was an empty plate. So this empty plate sitting in front of me that said, my needs. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I'm looking at this plate, and there's nothing on it, and I'm, I'm thinking about what I need. Uh, and then next to me, there's another plate, and I realize that there's, there's food on this plate. And kind of as I observe it, as I kind of take notice of it, it's not just that there's food on the plate, but it's like, it's, it's so big the plate can contain it. It goes out this way, and then it starts to go up. And I kind of like, it's like zooming out and observing. And like the pile that's on that plate gets bigger and bigger and bigger. As I'm zooming out, it's, it's bigger than a house. So there's the little plate with this mass of food on it that's so big, you know, really no realistic house could contain it. But in the picture, it was still, we were still in the house. And just this massive plate next to me and I'm sitting here looking at my little dinky plate that says my needs. And all of a sudden, God took them and he switched them. And he put the one that was full in front of me and he took my little plate and he put it in front of him. And I felt the spirit saying, whose plate are you going to live from? Whose plate are you going to live from? When we talk about the resources of heaven, what we've been given... It's so easy not to give because we feel like I'm operating out of my needs and my needs are too great. I have nothing to give off of my plate. 
but when his plate is in front of us. This is, this is two things. This is one, this is a mental shift. One, this is a mental shift of, of understanding that what I have to give is not based on my own capacity. But two, it's a spiritual shift of saying, I actually have abundance of resources that will change the world around me if only I can make that mental shift. Does that make sense? You have to make the mental shift before you can actually operate out of the spiritual reality. And so this, this vision has been sticking with me for a while. Imagine, imagine you have a bank account with 20 bucks in it. And you have a debit card in your wallet, and you get saved, and God gives you his debit card. And he says, I have $500 billion in this account. You will never run out. Bless the world. Bring my kingdom. Show them who I am. And so you're like, wow, that's great. You put it in your pocket, and you go through life, and you go to the store, and you pull out your debit card. And somebody comes to you with their needs, and you pull out your debit card. And all the time you're looking at that going, I can't. I can't. I can't give you anything. I can't do anything. There's nothing on this. I can barely take care of myself. And we forget that God's debit card is right there. And I think if we can get that, if we can understand what he's given us as far as resources, when I talk about resources, I'm not, first of all, I'm not saying that we're responsible to solve everybody's problem and everybody's need all the time, okay? I want to make that clear, but we are responsible to live with his plate in front of us. We are responsible to live out of his abundance. And guys, that means financially. That means when he says give, you don't look at the bank account balance first. It means in our emotions, in our time. It means when, my, when I'm dealing with my kids and I'm exhausted and I've been woken up all throughout the night and I've had a really difficult week and I'm stressed and thinking about all these things, my bank account is empty. But if I can make that switch in that moment and not confront my kid with irritation and with frustration or my wife and be able to come at that and say, no, I'm going to pull this other plate in front of me. I'm going to come from this. It's supernatural. It really is supernatural that your capacity will change. There is no limit to what we can handle emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially when we're operating under the resources of heaven that we've been given as co-heirs with Christ. Our daddy God says we are the inheritors of the kingdom. It's his pleasure to give us good things. And we have to understand that the appearance is one thing, and I have to choose if I'm going to stand on the appearance or if I'm going to stand on the reality that he's telling me. Does that make sense? So that's that's... That's what we need to look at with resources, with authority. Like I said a minute ago, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in Matthew 28, 18. And earlier, he actually said, I'm giving you authority to go and cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And so when we talk about authority, have you guys experienced, anybody who's a parent, I think, you experience uh, especially as your kids get older, <laughs> you experience ask me first parenting. And ask me first parenting is when you tell your kids, ask me first before getting a snack, ask me first before going outside, ask me first before you get up from the dinner table, ask me first before crossing the street. Like you teach your kids, ask me first, ask me first. And then you hit a point where your kids grow up and they get a little older and you're like, okay, 
Stop asking. You don't need to ask. You don't need my permission to go to the bathroom. Just, just go. Just go. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter. Like, we put our kids to bed. It doesn't matter how many times we say it. They'll come out. Can I go to the bathroom? Uh-huh. Please don't ask next time. Just go. You are, you are free. And they're stuck in this ask-me-first parenting model, which, you know, is something that we're trying to empower them from. Like, because what we're trying to teach them ultimately is when you get my heart, when you understand the values of our home, when you understand why we do what we do, you have freedom to go do whatever you want because we know you're carrying the heart and the values of our home with you. God is longing for his kids to capture his heart and then bring it out into the world with them. But what, we hap- what happens a lot of times is we think about authority and God is, of course, the ultimate authority. But we fall into this ask him first mentality. What would have happened if the disciples, you know, he, he sends them out. He sent them out by 12 and then he sent them out by 70 to go out and do exactly what he himself had been doing. There wasn't a difference. They were talking about the kingdom. They were healing the sick. They were doing all this stuff. They were doing it. What they had watched him do. What would happen if they all came back and they're like, hey, I saw somebody was lame. I, I, I just traveled, you know, 40 miles to get back to you and just ask, should I pray for them to be healed? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, I saw somebody who was poor. I had some extra money in my bag. I just wanted to come back, you know, 100 miles to talk to you and make sure, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to give it to them? Uh-huh. <laughs> But we come at God like that. We come at him with this ask me first mentality. Now, I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask him for things. What I am saying is if we understand the values of heaven, if we understand how his heart beats, how his love operates, you don't need to ask, Father, do you want good things from me? You don't need to ask, Father, do you want to bless this family? We don't need to look at somebody. It doesn't matter. See, see, I think a lot of the church tends to think that if somebody is on the opposite spectrum uh, uh, politically or somebody's on the opposite spectrum in how they live, in their mentality, they might not know God. They might be living completely antagonistic to God. And I think some people tend to think that if you're living over there, then God doesn't want good things for you. God's going to bash you up until you come to him. And so I'm going to help. And that's not the God that we serve. When we, that, that's the kind of God where that person is probably needs to stay in the ask me first mentality until they start to figure out the values of heaven. But when you understand how God's heart and how he operates, you don't have to ask, God, do you want to bless that person? You don't have to ask, God, this person is living in sin. Their, their life is deplorable. Should I say, do I, should I correct them? Should I bring something kind? When you understand the values of heaven, you understand that life flows and you can bring truth and love in the same package. You, you understand that it does, it's not an either-or proposition. It's not love only or truth only. But we have to get the values of heaven to understand that. So when we talk about authority, in the kingdom economy, I want to take us in another step further. When we know the Father's heart, we don't ask him if we should pray for healing. But I'll take that even a step further. We don't ask Jesus to heal people. This might get me in trouble. We don't ask Jesus to heal people. Show me one time in the New Testament where the disciples said, Jesus, I just ask you to heal this person. What did, what did they say instead? 
What's that? They declared it, right? They declared it. If, if I have power running to my home right now, I'm not the source of the electricity, but if the switch is off and there's no power, I can turn on the switch. I can bring power to something. It's not my power, but I don't, I don't go to the power company and call them and go, hey, would you turn on my light in my kitchen? Right? I turn on the light in my kitchen. It's the same when we talk about healing, when we talk about our authority in Christ as children, as sons and daughters of God. You have been given authority to declare what we know our Father wants to do. There is never a time that we have an example of Jesus refusing to heal somebody or saying they don't have enough faith. That didn't happen in the, in the New Testament. He never said, no, I don't want to heal them because that's not what God wants. We, we don't have that example. So there's no reason for us not to be able to say, as sons and daughters of God, we are declaring healing, not asking God for it, because he's given that to us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, which includes the ministry of healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel. So I just want to encourage us, this isn't just about healing. The authority we've been given goes into your household. It goes into your emotions and your mental state. It goes into the atmosphere of a room that you walk into. You actually have authority to declare and speak life into your marriage and into your relationship with your husband or wife. You have the authority to speak the kingdom of heaven into your children and declare the life of God flowing inside of them. You have the authority to take control of your own emotions and your own mind and to say, you know, David, I love how David said, to his own soul in the Psalms. He, he's like, oh my soul, why are you so downcast within me? Set your eyes on the Lord. He's, he's commanding his soul. He's taking spiritual authority over his own mind, will, and emotions. And in that same way, we can do that. We can take authority in the world around us. We can shift the atmosphere. When you walk into a room and you sense there's fear or there's control or there's, it's just bad. You can walk in there and begin to declare the presence of God and declare a shift in the atmosphere in your workplace, in your home. The last thing that I, I want to talk about is, is we're carriers of restoration. So we've got resources of heaven. We've got the authority of the kingdom. And we're carriers of restoration. The word restoration, restoration is bringing something that has fallen into disrepair or brokenness into back into its designed state. I like to rephrase this to say nothing is wasted. In the economy of heaven, nothing is wasted. God wastes nothing. We think about our stories, I think, often, and we, you, it's easy to look back and, th and think, man, I wasted all those years. Or to look back and think, man, I made so many mistakes. I just, you know, I didn't do it right. Or to think, if only I'd known then what I know now. Or, or whatever it might be. And I want to encourage you, in the economy of the kingdom, in the economy of God, absolutely nothing gets wasted. Every part of your story is redeemable. Every part of your story can bring life. The pain, the good, the bad, the mistakes, the things that you've done, the things that were done to you. Um, in Psalms 126, 5 through 6, it talks about tears. And it says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Your very tears 
that you have cried in your past and the pain, the brokenness that you've walked through is actually seed that will bear fruit later on in your life when we're walking in the, in the, in the economy of heaven. In Joel 2.25, God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Um, when we talk about locust, it's not like just a couple grasshoppers hopping across the, cloud, the, the, the ground. They had swarms that were two miles in size that would go way up into the air, just massive clouds of locusts with 50 million in a swarm. And they could eat more in one day than 40,000 people can eat in a year. And when they die their rotting bodies can ruin the land of the landscape. And it feels like everything that I had is gone. Everything's been eaten and destroyed. And now even the chance to grow something is gone. And yet God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Not I will make it up to you in the future, but I'll actually restore that time. It's so important that I think we realize who you are, what you are, what you're made up of, your story, your mistakes, your brokenness, your healing, all of it, all combined together, is a very, in and of itself is a resource of the kingdom of heaven. God is a master strategist when it comes to our lives, when it says that he can turn everything to good, when Joseph's story happens, and it seems like he has all these promises, and every time he's about to fulfill the promise, he falls. He's, he's, you know, getting favor in his father's house, and he gets thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. He's getting favor in Potiphar's house, and he gets thrown into jail. Sometimes our lives feel like that, but Joseph had an opportunity to either lose hope and say, it's over. This, I've tried. Can you imagine at that point, two huge problems. One, his own family deserted him, abandoned him. And then he's in Potiphar's house. He feels like, man, I'm gaining favor. This is good. I'm doing well. Maybe the promise will come true. Maybe. I can't. It's still way out there, but maybe. And then he gets thrown into jail. I can't imagine what I would be feeling at that point. I think at that point, it would be very tempting to say, I give up. I've tried. I did my best. I did my best. I worked my butt off. I was honorable. I did the right thing. And now I'm in the pit. But because he was able to hold on, God was able to bring blessing through him. Last thing I want to say, guys, is we have to understand the key to living under the favor of kingdom economy is unyielding trust in the Lord. We have to be able to say, I know that this is not my landing place. There's a promise you've made to me. There's a promised land I'm headed to, and I know you want to bless others through me. I'll take this preparation time to get my heart right. I will take this opportunity to press closer to you in struggle. It doesn't mean that we magically hit a point of perfection where all the wounds of our past are 100% gone, but I do think it means the pain of those wounds are transformed into a well of insight, resources, and even excitement that can bring healing and life to other people. When you're sharing with somebody who is in pain and you have no experience of their pain, you can do your best, but when you have wounds that you've walked through and, you see, and you've come through the other side and you see somebody with that pain, you can say, hey, I have a wound. I have something to offer here. I have a healing balm to offer because I've been wounded there. Our wounds become sheaves of grain. They become resources to bring the kingdom of heaven in the world around us. So I just want to release that to you guys, that you 
whatever it is of this message that you need to hold on to, whether it's the idea that you're not limited by your own resources, you're, you may feel maxed out emotionally, you may feel like your re- relationship is strained, you may feel like your workplace is strained, or your, or your things with your kids or family, um, you may feel financially strained, you may feel like physical lack, and I just want to encourage you, that's not the resources that God has promised to you. Same with your authority. You have so much more authority. You know, it's, it's probably, I would say, healthier and a lot safer, actually, to try to explore the boundaries of the authority we have in Christ and see where it stops and, like, push the limits of it than it is not to pick it up at all. It's probably safer to test the boundaries of the authority we've been given in Christ than it is to not take it up at all. And the last part of it is don't ever let a piece of your past or your brokenness, current or past, keep you from walking in the fullness of the kingdom economy. Your story, whether or not it's big and epic and amazing or whether or not it feels frail and small to you, is a piece of your anointing to bring life to the world around you.